Welcome to episode 16 of the Fathers Who Fight podcast. We are fathers banding together to strengthen one another in following Jesus Christ and resisting the enemy of our souls by living eternal warrior principles. I'm Rob, and it's just me again this week as we finish up our interview with Ryan from last week. Before we get into that, I'd like to just take a moment to ask you to, if you have not done so yet, subscribe to and rate the podcast. We hope that you've been benefiting from the things you've been hearing, that you've been working on the challenges that we offer each week. We hope that you'll take the opportunity to share this with a friend and help build up our band of fathers so that we can fulfill our divine mission to be righteous fathers and help raise righteous children prepared and ready to take on the world. That's the title of our episode today, because as you'll hear later from Ryan, he continues to talk about his experience with bringing foster children into his family and then having their own child and children and even adopting one of the foster children they brought in. It's a powerful story, and if you haven't listened to last week's episode, do that first to catch the first part of the interview. And now, here's the rest of the interview with Ryan. You know, you mentioned that they were with you for eight months, and you mentioned that uh, before you uh, got them, before before they came into your home, uh, your wife got pregnant. So, they, you, you became a father while you were foster parenting. And so did any of any of those feelings of trying to love them change or, you know, how how were you able to to balance having, you know, your your firstborn child with having foster children? Yeah. And it made it, you know, made it a little bit interesting because we had them or we had them when we had our our, our first one in June. So that was part of the eight months. And I know that you actually took care of, I think they spent the night at your house once when we were in the hospital. I, I came to your house days. and slept on the couch because you called us late oh, yeah, that's right. and said, <laughs> going to the hospital. So yeah. I, w- I woke up yeah. or, or they woke up to me on the couch and mm-hmm. found out that, uh, yeah, it was baby time. <laughs> yeah. So, but the thing is, because we integrate them into our family, they're like, oh, that's Rob. Like they knew who you were. And and everything, um, did the feelings change? Like, yes and no, and I think it would be a disservice to say that like no, like everything was fine. Like when it's your own kid, like there's just when you're holding your your first like your first kid for the first time, like there's just this love there. And is it the same as I had for the foster care kids? I'm gonna be honest, like it wasn't. Mm-hmm. But that didn't change like any of the, you know, oh, you're now second, you know, second rate. Like, no, like everything was status quo, sir. Things changed. You know, there was now a little human that was absorbing a lot of amounts of time and energy in our home. Um, But we tried to integrate them into it. And like, we'd be like, here, you want to hold our son? And like, give, you know, I think one of them never did because he was scared that he was going to drop him. It's true. Even adults. Maybe towards the end. I know, seriously. But we tried, you know, as any type of family, if you had older kids and you're having like a newborn, the dynamic changes a little bit and it's always going to change. And so our dynamic changed. 
And I think that's the best way to explain it. Like we weren't able to do as much stuff that they wanted to do right then and there. And that's, I think any father or any family that has any type of older kids that brings a home a newborn, they're going to have to realize that as of right now, the, the priorities are split. And so there wasn't really too much angst that I can remember with having a newborn versus, you know, the foster care or the foster kids. But, um, I still, we still love them. We still cared for them. We cared for our, my newborn son. And I think, of course, as anything, like I said, dynamics change, but the dynamics of us caring for them were still there and they knew that and they could, they could feel that. Yeah. So they left and, and after a while it was just the three of you or for a while it was just the three of you. And then you made the decision to, to take a couple more children and, and you know, you don't have to share all the details about how that came about if you don't want to, but um, what was different about that? How, you know, did, were, was it kind of the same feelings? Um, was it just kind of, here we go again? How, how did you handle that? So we took a little time off. So they, they left at the end of July. So like, like as of August 1st of, so this is 2017, we were like, you know what? We, we want to take a break. We just now have, at this point, not even a two-month-old <laughs> that... Um, that we need to care for. So we told our caseworker, we still want to be foster parents, but we need a couple months to figure out what our norm is going to be now that it's um, my wife and myself and now, you know, our newborn. And so we wanted to experience what that is going to be like. And so for a couple months, we just enjoyed each other. Um, We actually got a couple calls here and there from a caseworker where they would either say, "Hey, we have you know this this person. We're we're looking for potential. Would you be interested?" Um, we have like we always had a list of questions that we'd ask, and it either wouldn't pan out, or my wife and I would say that doesn't sound like a perfect fit for whatever reason. And one thing that our we have our own RFC, which oh, I can't remember what that stands for, but basically our caseworker that works with us that said, do not feel bad at all for declining or saying no to a placement because there's so many factors. Like we don't look at it negatively because we, they, they usually have two or three different families that are like the prior, like in the top. And so if one says no, they'll just go to the next one. And so we, there's a couple of times where it didn't feel right. And, you know, we had to listen to the spirit with what would be the best thing for our family and so there's a couple things where we're like, sure. And then it just turned out that they needed to go somewhere else or do something else. And that's fine. So that happened, I think, two or three times from August to January. And at the end of, towards the end of January, um, we got a call from our caseworker. Or I think my wife actually called and was talking about something. I can't remember. But in that, there was a call and they said, hey, we have this family that's just coming into care. Um, can you take the two oldest out of the five? And so we got the oldest, um, which was, he was 15 at the time and his sister, which was 14 at the time. And we got the, 
they had a hard time finding a place for the oldest. And so they, he was actually in a, a facility down in Provo. I can't remember what a, what type of facility, but um, they wanted to get him out as soon as possible because they don't like keeping kids there or kids that are in the home. So, Or they want him to be like in the actual home with parents, things like that. Um, so he came to our home Saturday. And then the the our the daughter at um that the time was in what they call like an emergency care so like they didn't really have a place for her so they put her in a temporary foster home and so at that temporary foster home she was there for just the weekend and she came to our home on that monday so i remember coming home from work and i was like sorting through the like mail and then she comes in and she's super sassy and super like <laughs> in my face. <laughs> and if you've met, which she's now my daughter, so I'll tell you that. But if you've met my daughter, she is very sarcastic and very sassy. And she was very specifically sassy and super sarcastic to male figures. And I'm going to do a public apology, Rob, if at any point she was rude sarcastic or sassy to you i apologize it's because of the family dynamic that she came from that she didn't get along with male authority figures no apology necessary (laughs) (laughs) but so anyways we had those two kids in our home and um this one was the like harder placement than the other three to be honest there were different challenges that like the first three were angels. They were, I don't know, like <laughs> we didn't have problems. Like there were some problems that we had with the, the first three, um, which I can you know tell you now and we'll, I'll circle back to it. But we had problems with pot and pornography with those, the first three. And then we had the same problem with the oldest. Um, but other, like other than that, like, um, it was just hard because as a father, I was trying to provide, I was working two jobs at the time and, um, doing online, uh, teaching for Chinese kids in the morning, like early in the morning, like four o'clock in the morning, then going to a full-time job where I was a corporate trainer for a company. And it was like, sometimes those were you know, on a normal day, it was like eight hours, but other days it was like nine to 10 hours a day. So like that one thing was like a struggle for me. Then at the same time, having to deal with um, the trauma that our, our foster kids had one, which was, you know, defying authority, like the oldest, the, the son, defying authority, smoking pot, not doing homework, skipping school. And the second one where she didn't like male authority figures, which happened to be me, <laughs> and having a lot of trauma, told that she was crazy, having to be admitted because she was suicidal, and having to deal with that now. And while we still have, at this point, a six-month-old. Right. Six, seven-month-old. Right. So th- it was a whirlwind of, of an experience for us. And... Long story short, the last day of school, we found out that our the foster son was skipping, and he went and smoked pot with someone. We told the caseworkers, and they moved him out of our home to another place. And so 
at as of that point, he was you know he was moved to someplace else that would be able to help him with uh, the problems that he was facing. But we kept the the fourteen year old in our home. Mm-hmm. Um, but like those first couple months was just hard. Mm-hmm. Like we had to deal with um, you know having a six month old and you know teenagers. I think I had to have the pornography talk before having like, Hey, let's have you walk, you know, like, you know, or here, let's have you just say words. So I had to deal with those types of things before having to deal with, you know, other type of just normal stuff. So like I was thrown in the deep end and as the, you know, the male figure, I had to, you know, take on that talk, which makes sense because it was the, the, the teenage boys that had the problem. And so they're, so I know I'm jumping all over the place with the, the two teenagers that we had with the first placement at one point, uh, the caseworker okayed them to go down to their hometown and hang out with their friends. You know, they, you know, they earned it. And then, so this was like on a Friday or Saturday, they, and then they came home over the weekend. And one of the rules that we have as foster parents is we get access to your phones. We know what the passcodes are or you don't get the Wi-Fi code. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we, we knew all the passcodes, which I think is good. And uh, so we were for do- parent of any child foster oh, yeah. or otherwise. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. And I think it's every parent should know their passcodes. And if you want to know why, here's why. So it was like Monday night and I just had a weird interaction with with one of the, the foster sons that he was coming out of the bathroom. He had his phone with him. I'm like, you're not supposed to have your phone. It was like 10 o'clock at night. I had I'd been out either working late or doing something. I can't remember what, but I was coming up the stairs and like he was supposed to have his phone. Like he had his phone. I'm like, hmm, something weird's going on. So I started looking at their phone. And I went to their direct messages through Instagram where they were talking to their friends. And turns out while they were um, with their friends, they were smoking pot. Mm. And um, let's just say I didn't get any sleep that night. I think I might have got an hour of sleep. But it's just like, how do I approach this? And my wife, I love her to death, but she's not the most rational when she's angry. She's like, I want to wake him up right now, and we need to have a dis- like a talk. And and then I was like, Well, what good would that do? What good is that going to do? Like, you're not going to get sleep now. They're not going to get any sleep. And so we we went a different direction. And um and so we let them sleep. We let them get ready for school. But then like right before um, school, we woke up everyone because one went to school like an hour before everyone else. And we're like, okay, we need to have a talk with you. And so we talked and, and we just set it up as, you know, I remember starting out something to the degree of, okay, okay, we're going to go back to the ground rules. When we talked, when you first came in, we set up ground rules and we talked about not having any lies or talking about using drugs or anything like that. And so we need to ask you a few questions and then like, and so we asked them, like, were you guys smoking pot with your friends? And they, um, 
and they're like at first they're like crap how did you know like we and then like they didn't say anything and so like we saw what your messages were where'd you get the pot and then the oldest one said that they got it from the school that they went to and named the person and so we're like all right thank you and then we're like hey we're gonna have to tell your um your caseworker what happened and then we're also gonna have to um you know we're taking your phones for the next foreseeable future like you're not gonna have your phones but now you guys need to get ready for school and 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 take that care and like we were we tried to be as calm as possible through that experience and like afterwards like later that day um the middle one came over came over to us like you guys were so calm and cool and collected like if it was my like my real dad or my bio dad like we would have been yelled at and screamed at and everything I'm like yeah but that doesn't actually help anything in that mm-hmm. situation and and like they knew that they were in trouble they knew that but like we went a different direction and it turned out well like they're like okay yeah we're not smoking a pot again like and so they actually had to go through and get drug tested on a regular basis and we yeah they didn't smoke pot again after that but it kind of taught me that even though things are super hard and like people do some you know stupid things there's no point in acting irrational and you know losing your temper because that is going to drive people away like going back to what we were talking about every kid deserves to feel loved and cared whether they're foster care or they're your real kids and there's nothing more than you can do is stay calm cool and collected in a situation like that still there was relevant consequences they knew what their consequences were to those actions they didn't have their phones for a while they weren't able to hang out with their friends anymore um, without being supervised actually i think they even didn't even hang out with them after that but they weren't able to be with their those friends and so there were consequences to those actions and that was enough than me yelling and screaming at them that would not have you know actually worked out and that has actually helped me so many times with being a parent to my kids today sure there's probably been one or twice you know probably more than that but a couple times where i might have lost my cool but then i you know after that i'm like crap why did i do that because i remember that time where i'm like i stay cooled and collected as a father and that was enough to get the point Mm. across so it's a learning progress i know that i've lost my cool a couple times kids can be (laughs) annoying but they're also fun and and cool to be around but sometimes they like to push your buttons and I know that they've pushed my buttons a couple of times and I'm not proud of that. And I'll be the first to admit it that I'm working on it and I want to make sure that I'm cool and collected like I was with at that one time with something so serious. Yeah. And that's one thing that we talk about in life changing services too, is uh, transforming shame because that uh, shame itself is, is a tool of the adversary. He tries to mm-hmm. get us to, feel like we're worthless and and instead of you know having more of a uh, a more godly feeling of guilt where it's like okay i've done something wrong whereas shame says i am wrong and i you know uh it's important to treat our children in a way where we're not shaming them and so so good mm-hmm. for you for handling that because yeah i mean especially like you said i, I love that analogy of or the you know how you said that you having the the pornography talk before uh, teaching your children how to talk you know that <laughs> it's uh not common true <laughs> not common 
It's not, but most foster kids do have a problem with that because um, it's uh, a coping mechanism. And to be honest, a lot of probably the parents like don't really care because you know they have other bigger issues, and so. Um, a lot of foster kids are exposed to it one way or another and have that problem. And so um, doesn't mean that it can't, like, it should be a deal breaker because I'll be honest, most teenagers nowadays are exposed to it one way or another. And it's, it's being able to help them through that experience and help them to understand what's going on and like why it's so so bad and so so wrong and um grant like did it take away every you know every time like we had a router that would block adult content so like they couldn't get it that way we checked their phones regularly they weren't able to delete anything and so like we put up a few of those safeguards but having that open conversation like yeah like that's not something that you want to because it's it's bad for you spiritually it's not what christ wanted but at the same time like it's part of what who like you know you've dealt with this and so we can move past it like like you said not shaming them in the you know the sense of like like why are you doing this like i understand why you're doing it you're you haven't been in our home the whole time but in our home we don't have those and we don't have that because we want to focus on what things are going to make you a better person and more uh, closer to Christ. And we were able to find common ground, like I said, religiously and anything that we could do to bring people closer to Christ, like they wanted to be closer to Christ as well themselves. And so that helped to kind of um, deal with some of those things uh, directly with them. Wonderful. Wonderful. And I'm guessing that those are things you still do. Um, and, and so, um, mm-hmm. yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Good. Wonderful. You, you did kind of give away that, that now, uh, one of your foster children is your daughter. Tell us a little bit about that experience and, and what it's meant for you and, and how she, she truly has now become part of the family. Okay. Yeah. So, this was in 2018, if you keep track of dates. <laughs> oh, we are. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. With with her, so at this point, that summer, um, her brother went into another another foster home that was a level up. There's different levels. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to complicate it too much. So at this point, we had my oldest son. Or not my oldest son, the, my one son that was born. <laughs> he is your and oldest. Her. <laughs> yeah, he's. I know it, it's a weird dynamic, which is cool at the same time. But going back to my daughter, there she was. You know, based on the trauma that she had growing up with her own father, um, she despised male authority figures. For whatever reason, and I think it was more subconscious, more than anything. Um, and I know that there were times where, like, friends, like, were like, "Ryan, like, are you okay?" Like, she's really like sarcastic and <laughs> sassy to you. I'm like, yeah, she has some issues. She's coping through it. Like, she's learning good coping skills. And one of the things that she had a hard time with, or that she had to overcome, like I said, she had a lot of suicidal thoughts. And what her previous family would do, or her fa- like her 
biological family would do is anytime that she had that thought, like, oh, we're going to admit you to the hospital. So she would go to a, psych- a psychiatric ward for uh, in a hospital for like a week or so. And and the, the system is somewhat flawed because they would just monitor her. And it actually made it worse in that sense rather than actually helping. And it might be more unique to what my daughter went through or something, but it caused trauma, you know, th- you know, for her and, um, don't want to go too in detail, but you know, it, it stopped her from having good experiences, even when she was with us. But one thing that we actually prided ourselves with was that from the time that she came to us, she never went into a hospital because she said that she was, you know, having dark thoughts or suicidal, whatever it may be. We were like, Hey, you know what? It's, 11 o'clock at night it's snowing outside let's go for a walk and i do remember that my wife it was really great with handling that it was 11 o'clock the night before my birthday in february and she was getting like all like antsy like she starts to shut down that was one of her coping mechanisms and still kind of is is she just shuts down and doesn't let anything in and so we were able to see that she was doing that. My wife tried to talk to her and she's like, Kate, let's go for a walk. So 11 o'clock at night, they went on a walk. It was a blizzard that night. They bundled up, went walking around. And then I was like, you know what? All right, she's got this handled. I think I'm going to go to bed. It's 11 o'clock at night. Tomorrow's my birthday. Um, and uh, so I just remember... I was kind of falling asleep and then she walks in and sings happy birthday because it's midnight at this point. <laughs> and I'm like, what the crap? I was asleep. And like one of the things that I do remember about that experience is seeing her change from shutting down to now being open to seeing me happy birthday mm. at midnight. So like there was, I remember that because there was that change that happened. And so we realized at that point she learned bad coping mechanisms. She was told that whenever she has a bad thought that, you know, that means that she's crazy and needs to go to the hospital. We were able to reverse that and change that mindset where she's no longer crazy. She's a normal teenager that has bad thoughts. Sometimes when you have those thoughts, you need to do something about it and you can talk about it. You can go walk, um, she does EMD, EMDR, which I can't remember what the acronym is, but it's a type of therapy that a lot of the times they, it's butterfly. So you can tap interchangeably with your hands on your chest or on your shoulders or on your hand. And basically what that does is helps you when you're having that type of episode, that rapid movement with your hands going left, right, left, right, left, right actually changes your, your mindset because your brain's now going left side, right side, left side, right side. And that actually helps you get through some of that trauma while doing like breathing exercises as well. And I'm not anywhere near like a scared uh, therapist. I think that's what, that's what it was explained to me as. So if I'm wrong, I'm putting that disclaimer out there for anyone that listens to this podcast. I am nowhere near qualified to tell, talk about it from a therapy standpoint, that's just my understanding of what EMDR does. And that actually helps you to get through those episodes. 
by using the breathing exercises and going left brain, right brain at the same time. And I think you can do the same thing with like tapping your like stomping or like marching in place, but like thinking left, right, left, right. Um, there's a couple other ways to do it, but she's learned those, those coping skills because there's, um, because of what happened with some of the trauma that happened with her father, like just kind of more verbally abusive towards her. Nothing like verbal abuse, I think is one of those that is underplayed that a lot of people cope with as silent, you know, silent, um, victims or silentless victims or, um, they're silent victims in the sense that they don't talk about too much because people are like, Oh, people are just mad. I can't do things right. But it actually takes a toll on you. And with all those things that happened with her, with her being told that she was crazy, having problems with her dad, it just was like a perfect storm for her to come into our home. But the cool thing is she's been with us for two and a half year or two and a half years. Now we adopted her earlier this year and seeing the changes when she first came in, she was told that she was never good enough. She thought that she wasn't good, uh, good enough. She missed so much school because she was put in the hospital so much that she didn't even know that she was going to graduate. Now she's on track to graduate with like a 3.8 GPA. She is planning on being like she wants to go and become a nurse aestheticianist or what, whoever's the, the nurse or the <laughs> anesthesiologist. And that's just his, I don't know. I'm not very good with technical terms. So for you podcaster viewers out there, I am sorry. I'm probably slaughtering everything. I appreciate your patience, but I'm not very good with big words. <laughs> that's all right. And our viewers won't see you try and fumble over that either. They'll just hear it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, I apologize but uh, I should know that because that's what my daughter wants to do. And it, it was, but just seeing that transition from where she was kind of hopeless when she first came to us to now where she, we were able to adopt her. She's now officially my daughter. The birth certificate, like I didn't even know this, but they reprinted the birth certificate and the birth certificate's list like on that name is now mine and my wife's. I didn't realize that that's what happens when you mm. adopt someone. But so um, apparently my wife, who's never been to North Carolina, is now like gave birth to her <laughs> in North Carolina. <laughs> um, it's just it's some, some random fact. But uh, I know I got a little sidetracked with that little antidote. But in all reality, like foster parenting has been the hardest experience but it's the most rewarding because I can now honestly say that my daughter, while she still is somewhat sassy and sarcastic to me, she is not like, you know, she's been able to go through and like work on her trauma and she is ready to take on, like she graduates this year. She's ready to take on the world. And while she still has problems, we all have problems she is ready to take on things and be able to uh, tackle everything that life's going to throw at her. And if not, she has us. Like She has us that um, she can call. She can come home on the holidays or come home randomly at night, be like, college sucks, whatever she needs. And that's the thing. Like 
with fostering and eventually adopting our daughter, a lot of people think that we were crazy going from zero to teenagers overnight, which we did. But I wouldn't have it any other way. Teenagers are the ones that need the help the most. Um, they're the ones that people don't think about because um, if you think about your kids, uh, you have teenagers and uh, adults now, I mm. think. Um, your oldest is at college. Does he? How often does he come home on the mm. weekends, Rob? Or how often do you see uh, him? Well, actually, he's pretty good about like seeing my wife. They try and get together every week, and um, he'll he'll come to our place at least once a month, if not twice. And, and, and then, you know, his, he gets to spend time with his brother and, and, and we see him at spike ball tournaments. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so are you saying after 18, you don't just like your son doesn't drop off the face of the earth? Fortunately, no, we, we like him. So we like to see it. <laughs> yeah. So, one thing that a lot of people think like, oh, well, I can just be those foster kids. They're going to just age out of the system anyways in a couple years. So like they'll be, you know, on whatever, you know, government program or whatever there is. There's not really that much. And if you think about like yourself and your relationship with your parents, uh, Rob, you have an adult just because you turn the magical number of 18 doesn't mean that your life is now perfect and that you don't need your parents anymore. I think you need your parents more after you're 18 because you're like, how do I cook this one thing? You call your mom or you're like, Hey, what's the bill? Like, why do I get this? Like, how does medical insurance work? What's a 401k? Uh, what's, you know, how do I get a job? Like, can you look over this resume? I don't know. There's so many different things that happen when you're after you're 18, that you can rely on parents. And that's one mis like misconception of the system that once they're 18, foster care kids are, you know, fine. They'll be fine after they turn 18. Um, most, I can't remember the stats. Um, so I'm just going to say a high percentage of those that are homeless are, came from foster care, foster system. And like, or they were in the foster system at one point and, our responsibility, if you look at in James, is to uh, support the widows and the orphans. I can't remember the verse, and I'm probably slaughtering it. Um, but that's what true religion actually is, is to take care of the widows and the orphans. And, and so that's one of the ways that we were able to do that. And help them to be set up for success. Granted, the first three kids, we didn't ad adopt them, but we put them in a place where they could be cared for and loved. We got them back on track with school. The oldest was like, hey, I actually feel like I can graduate now. Like He was a dropout at, when he came into our house. And, the, you know, the, our daughter having that change where she's like, I can actually go and do whatever I want you know, for a while, she's like, I'm going to actually be an anesthesiologist. And then she realized that there's too much medical insurance and, and everything that you have to pay for, like liability right, insurance right. is probably the better 
one. And she's like, you know what? I'm just going to be the nurse underneath them. Let the doctor <laughs> handle all their responsibility if something goes wrong. And I'm just going to be there and helping out. So she's like, that's actually not a bad plan, you know? And she came to that like on her own. Like we had discussions, we were talking about it. And she's like, you know what? I actually think that would be better. Don't have to go to med school for it. I just need to get a master's degree after I become an RN and get my bachelor's for that. So she now has a plan and is able to have a future. And the kids before us were able to get back on track and actually look forward to having a potential future. And that's the one thing that I think a father really needs to do. Granted, it wasn't me alone. I, like, it's not just me, but my wife and I, as a team, building that partnership, work together to do one of the hardest things in our life to help kids that, that needed it. And teenagers specifically, because teenagers, the older they get, the harder they are to be placed. And we felt that the time that we had foster, you know, fostering, we're not foster parents technically anymore. We're not licensed. After we um, adopted our daughter, we're like, you know what? We need to focus on our growing family. We're a family of three. Um, well, three kids, five total. So we're like, we... We are kind of, you know, if we get it, you know, any more foster kids, we're kind of going to bust at the seams. And so at this point, we're like, we felt that we went into the, you know, foster care to adopt and we did adopt someone that needed it. And that's, that's, you know, that's what we were able to do. And so if anyone out there is looking to adopt or foster or anything like that, just reach out to your local, um, you know, DCFS group or, you know, um, they would definitely be able to help you point you in the right direction because there's, there's so many kids out there that need it and they need a strong father figure, strong mother figure to help them through one of the worst times of their life. And that is being taken home, you know, taken away from their home. And so that's the thing that I, if I could stress anything to your listeners is, Look for opportunities to help the the foster kids. And if you can, great. If you're not, there's other ways that you can get involved to help with that. There's a lot of charities out there that are uh, uh, that are set aside to help educate, to help um, give out like gifts. There's during Christmas, they can you know take as many gifts as possible. And in Utah, it's Utah Foster Care. Um, is the organization. It's a nonprofit. They train and teach potential foster parents, do ongoing training, do little training sessions that say, hey, if you're interested in it, come join us on the, you know, and if they're, you can contact them and they can definitely set you up with that type of training and that night where you can find out more. Um, and then I just wouldn't change anything, you know, of that because, as I've gone through that experience, becoming a father unconventionally uh, through a different way, I have felt the Lord in my life. And I think that's the most important part is it helped me come closer to Christ because while it was unconventional, I feel that's what Christ would have done, that he would have taken those that were fatherless or motherless and helped them become productive members of society. And, and so 
I'm not trying to stand on my own pulpit or anything like that, but in the reality of it is there are so many, you know, so many people that have a hard time with, you know, getting pregnant, you know, having kids. There's other ways to do it. You know, luckily we were still able to have our own kids. Sometimes that's not possible with other people. And this is one way that people can become a father. There's other organizations out there, you know, that you can definitely help. And I would just, like, that's one thing that's really just helped me to build my own testimony. Because I could see the Lord's hand in everything that I did. And that's what helped me to get through Mm -hmm. it the most. You know, the podcast is called Fathers Who Fight. and, And I admire, uh, truly admire, and it may, maybe I've told you this, maybe I haven't, and if I haven't, I apologize, but I I admire you and, and Susie for your willingness to to be in the fight the way you have, to to follow the promptings that you've received, and to to give love to, you know, not just uh, your your own um, birth children, but but other children as well. And it's been it's been a joy to get to know them and to you know have them as part of the family, and so I I really appreciate your perspective and willingness to talk about it, tell us about it, and and like we talked about earlier, give uh, give ideas, give uh, advice, and give hope to others out there who may have gone through similar things, and know that there are other options, and know that they can be a father in maybe not the way that they originally planned, but they still can do it and the Lord will be with them. So thank you, Ryan, for taking the time. We appreciate it. You're welcome. And thank you listeners for joining us once again. As a reminder, we at Life Changing Services are here to offer help to your family. Ryan mentioned the challenge of having to discover pornography on the phone of his foster children. Our flagship program at Life Changing Services is the Sons of Helaman program designed to help young men who are especially susceptible to the attacks of the enemy through pornography. And if you find and have found that any of your children have been deceived in this way and and succumbed to this pernicious problem, we invite you to go to lifechangingservices.org and seek help through the Sons of Helaman program. Or if you happen to have a daughter in a similar situation, the Daughters of Light program. We would love to help bring peace to your family and help to you and to your loved ones. It's a fantastic program and just one of many that Life Changing Services offers. Once again, thank you for listening, and we look forward to having you join us again on the next episode of the Fathers Who Fight podcast.